Then all the disciples deserted Jesus and fled. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, 
Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He is worthy of death. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner, a murderous revolutionary whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, 
but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. When they came to the place of the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The soldiers divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land.
about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? Are you sorry we drifted apart? Does your memory stray to a bright summer day? And I kissed you and called you do the chairs in your parlor seem empty and bare? Do you gaze at your doorstep and picture me there? Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Tell me, dear, are you lonesome tonight? Have you ever been lonesome? Have you ever been blue? Have you ever just felt like sitting around singing sad songs or listening to sad songs and sad music? Jesus was hanging on a cross. He had seven things he said. And probably the most powerful thing he said was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It troubles us to hear him say these words, doesn't it? Actually, in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew, those are the only words Jesus says from the cross. That's how important these words are. Why? Because Jesus was actually saying, or maybe even singing, the first line of a song. It starts like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I find no rest. Psalm 22. It's so strange preaching a sermon to a church filled with empty pews. It's so strange. It's, it's, a, it's a truly lonely feeling to be here tonight. And I'm sure it was lonely for Jesus too. Think about who was at the cross. At first, there was a crowd. You know, the weird thing about history is crowds were a gathering time. Uh, a crucifixion was a gathering time for crowds. When people were executed, when people were even hung in this country, crowds would gather. It's some sort of morbid curiosity. So the crowds were gathered. The, the Jewish leaders were gathered. They were making their comments. They were saying their, their things about Jesus. But after a while, the leaders left. The crowds moved on. Jesus says to John, 
this is now your mother. And to Mary, this is now your son. We don't know for sure, but the, the impression we have is that at that point, John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, and probably went home. This wasn't something for a mother to see to the end. And the other Marys that were there to comfort her, they, they probably went as well. We don't know who's left. Two or three or four soldiers. We know there was one there, a couple there. And three, two other thieves. Maybe a half a dozen people. While Jesus is sitting in loneliness. Psalm 42 is one of the most powerful psalms in the Bible. It's, it's attributed to a man who is what we would today call a shut-in, unable to go to church. Does that sound familiar? As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, so where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God, under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Wow. Do you remember? It it seems like it was months ago. It's been less than three weeks. We're not made to be alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are the disciples? Where, where are the, the crowd of thousands that he fed or the hundreds that he healed? Where, where's, where's Peter, the great and brave apostle? Where are the angels from glory? Some of them are afraid. The angels have been called off by God. And the crowd, they're busy preparing for the holy day. Sometimes we forget that the purpose of the holy days is to be holy, not just to have festivities for us. In the midst of loneliness and darkness and isolation, we need to remember that God is there, and there's a reason why Jesus picked Psalm 22. The passage goes on to say, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises, and you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. And you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Be still, my soul, though winds and waves still know the voice that ruled him when he dwelt below. And if he ruled the winds and the waves back then, he still rules them today. But it can feel lonely when the darkness settles in. We can feel sometimes like like we're left alone, even in our faith. This psalm goes on to say, I am a worm, not a man. 
I'm scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in God. It hurts. When we're feeling the pain... We feel like God is somehow missing. It's, it's hard to cheer somebody up when they're hurting. I mean, when they're truly, physically, or emotionally just hurting. We tend to say things like, well, it could be worse. You know, look at those people down the street. That doesn't cheer anybody up. You know the difference between major surgery and minor surgery. Major surgery happens to me. Minor surgery happens to you. Now, that's an old joke, but there's some truth in it. When we're in the midst of a struggle, and we're in the midst of pain, telling us that somebody else has it worse doesn't make us feel any better. To think it was only yesterday. I was cheerful, bright, and gay, looking forward to, who wouldn't do, the role I was about to play. But as if to knock me down, reality came around. And without so much as a mere touch, cut me into little pieces, leaving me to doubt. Talk about God in his mercy. Well, if God really does exist, then why did he desert me? In my hour of need, I truly am indeed alone again, naturally. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far away when I feel the pain? And the truth is, we all know, because we've heard it said, if God seems far away, who moved? It's not God. In the book of Matthew, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And this is the most important part for tonight. And surely I am with you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God has not abandoned us. The psalmist says, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one else to help. God is not far away. God is here. God is with us. God's in my heart. God's in my soul, and he's in your heart and your soul. If you've you've brought him in, that's, that's the essence of being a Christian. God is not out there. He's been with us from the time we were born. Before we were born, he knew us and called us. And he's with us, no matter how dark and lonely it seems to be. God is always there. What I've got, they used to call the blues. Nothing is really wrong, feeling like I don't belong. Walking around, some kind of lonely clown. 
Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. You know, when I was a teenage boy, that was my theme song. I always felt like I had the blues. And there was a line in it, and it says, Funny, but it seems I always wind up here with you. Nice to know somebody loves me. When I break up with a girlfriend, I knew it wasn't her. The only one I felt like I could always count on was God. Now, I know I had my family, but somehow I needed something more. And it was God, because God was with me, and God is with you. This coronavirus is hard. It's really hard. We're not made to isolate ourselves. We are not meant to live alone. The Bible says it's good not, not good for people to be alone. It can be real hard, and it was hard for Jesus. They took Jesus and they hung him on a cross. I've had this crucifixion since the beginning of my ministry. It hangs in my office to remind me of the struggle that Jesus went through. Years ago, we used to use this on Good Friday. Some of you may remember that. It reminds me every time I walk in my office that it was hard for Jesus, too. And when we read Psalm 22, it's like it's, it's, like it's a story of the cross. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My tongue is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Jesus is really suffering. Humiliation, pain, agony. A physical pain. I can't imagine having my hands and my feet nailed to a tree. But the sin, the pain for God was the sin that we bring to him. Because the Bible says he took the sins of the world unto himself. He became sin for us. Now think about that. A perfect God who has never failed. When I was in high school, we had a volleyball team. They had not lost a volleyball match for 20 years. I want you to think of that. 20 years. They never lost. We never even thought about the volleyball team. They always just won. They won everything. They won the state championships. They were the best volleyball team you could imagine. And in my senior year, I remember an announcement came over the public address system that they lost. I don't want you to misunderstood. They had the best record for the season. They won the state championship, but they lost. And they had brought a blemish on something that had not existed for 20 years. God had never had sin 
never had the suffering of pain, of guilt, of hurt, of the brokenness, of, of the, the feelings of regret, of the remorse, of that, that feeling we have when we know we've done wrong. He had never had that in his existence. But he took it for us. And that's the agony that he was going through. Something only he could do alone. Sometimes in life we have a glimpse into heaven and a glimpse into hell. And this is a glimpse into hell. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. Nobody else could walk it for him. He had to walk it by himself. That song always haunted me when I was young. Why did Jesus have to do this by himself? Because he's the only one who would have the power to overcome that sin, that brokenness, that pain that we're seeing in this. And, and that's what we trust in. Psalm 22 ends, beginning in verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who will go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. It is finished. He has accomplished all that needs to be done. Psalm 22 ends not on Good Friday, but with a glimpse into heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise, he said to the thief on the cross. And that promise remains for us. Revelation says to us, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for that order of things will have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne will say, behold, I am making everything new. This is trustworthy. This we can depend on. We have to walk through the struggle, hanging on to the promise of what comes three days later, with a great celebration. Would we have been there? Would we have stood with Jesus till the end? Or would we have gone home to prepare for the holy day? Because we're afraid to suffer in our grief. Were you there 
when they crucified my Lord. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? When we stand in this world with the lonely, the hurting, those who are feeling the pain, the grief, and the loneliness even at this time, the struggle, we stand with Jesus at the cross. What you do for the least of these, he said, you do for me. Sometimes we need a sad song. Sometimes we need to feel the brokenness so that we can appreciate celebration. May God carry us all to those dark, shadowy valleys to the other side. Amen. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When Jesus had received the drink, he said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed, his last.
As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Dear God, we pray that you will bless us, that you will take away our sin, that you'll help us to remember the price you paid for our forgiveness, that you will lead us through the darkness, the valleys of loneliness, to the joy and wonder that you have promised us. Bless us and be with us, Lord as we remember that great song that you shared after it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.